you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local Tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. I'm not telling anybody but you, but I'm about to make a little surprise visit. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's pod, Tommy talks to Senate Judiciary Committee member Cory Booker about the Amy Coney Barrett hearings and his Republican super spreader colleagues. Before that, we'll talk about the super spreader in chief and how he's handling his COVID diagnosis, all the ways he knowingly put others at risk, and how all of this might change the last 29 days of this campaign. Holy shit. Uh, Holy shit is right. Love it. Anything uh, interesting to point out from Love It or Leave It this weekend? Great Love It or Leave It. Talked to Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. He uh, had a blank expression when I said the worst things I could say about Lindsey Graham possible. Uh, (laughs) Talked to Langston Kerman, who was hilarious. Adam Davidson, we talked about Trump's taxes. And then we did a little update on, uh, you know, Kim Jong ill with COVID. (laughs) The tax story was last Monday. It was a week ago today. How yeah. fucking nuts is that? Yeah, it really changed the race. Yeah, it really did. Block, blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> um, one quick housekeeping note before we start. There is still a vice presidential debate currently scheduled between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris on Wednesday, October 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we will be doing more live analysis on our group thread with the whole Crooked Media family. Uh, and we'd love for all of you to follow along at crooked.com slash debate. All right, let's get to the news president is a very sick man. He also has COVID, and we don't know how severe his case is because his staff and even his doctor keep lying to us. On Friday, they told us that Trump was fatigued, experiencing mild symptoms, and didn't require any supplemental oxygen. On Saturday, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows told reporters, quote, the president's vitals over the last 24 hours were very concerning, and the next 48 hours will be critical in terms of his care. We're still not on a clear path to a full recovery. By Sunday, The president's doctor, Sean Conley, admitted that he had misled the public and that on Friday, the president not only had a high fever, but low oxygen levels, which did, in fact, require supplemental oxygen. Here was Dr. Conley's explanation for his failure to tell the truth. I was trying to reflect the the uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. It wasn't necessarily. It <laughs> wasn't necessarily true. I have to tell you, this doctor has never tried to conceal a president's illness during a global pandemic, and honestly, it shows. Yeah, <laughs> not necessarily honestly, true is so funny. It wasn't necessarily lying. The most deadly thing you can do when you have COVID is tell the truth. <laughs> it will steer the whole illness in the wrong direction. Love it. What the hell did he mean by that? What did what was he trying to say there? Well, I think what he was trying to say, I, I honestly think everybody got a little bit over torqued. What he was trying to say is I didn't want to steer the interpretation of what I was saying in a negative direction. I don't think he was sincerely offering his medical advice that bad words make COVID worse. I don't think he was doing that. But he was the really White House quite- communications director repeated the same exact line later in an interview. Yeah, yeah the- I mean, uh, you know. I think they're all I mean, pretty dumb. But I don't think the doctor, I think what I look, I'm not excusing him. What I'm saying is he is trying to explain the fact that he tried to yada, 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 the president having oxygen on Friday without without um, 
surrendering his medical license. So uh, uh, look, whatever the other Trump people say around him is different. And obviously they've made he's overcome the virus like a central part of their message. Like, OK, fine. But for this doctor specifically, I think he was trying to save his reputation while trying to explain why he got a little too close to Trump. He looked Trump attracts weak people. <laughs> He and he Trump la- got his claws into this guy, sent him out there and he was afraid to tell the truth. And he went too far, uh, well beyond, you know, the ordinary spin that's been actually quite common in kind of <laughs> uh, denying the severity of the illnesses of presidents. He he lied to keep Trump happy. I mean, that's that was the whole yeah, thing. And basically, sure. that's what Tommy, what, you, what the White House was saying, too, is that he lied so that Donald Trump, so that he could keep Trump's spirits up and so that the American people could pretend that Trump's spirits were up. (laughs) Like, everything's fine here. Nothing wrong. Nothing to see here. We're all doing good. Which I still think is just laughable spin. You guys are lying because Trump thinks it will help him politically if you lie. That's what really happened. That's right. Assholes. That's right. I actually, honestly, I think it's even dumber than that. It's his ego can't handle the fact that he's very sick because he's been lying about the disease for the better part of a year. It's like, I don't even think we get into politics. He's embarrassed that he got COVID. He's embarrassed that he got COVID. Uh, Tommy, what do we know and what don't we know about how serious the president's condition is right now? I should also note that we are recording this. Oh, here we go. Okay, we just got, just got an update. Donald Trump tweeted, I will be leaving the great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. Oh, my God. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> here okay what okay yeah go, go to wow. go to your original answer that really doesn't change wow. the answer much no, like honestly. yeah here's what we know right we know he had a fever but they won't tell us how high we know that his oxygen dropped to dangerous levels but they won't tell us exactly how low we know that he had lung scans but the only thing they would tell us about that was there were some expected findings expected how they wouldn't clarify we know that they were worried about all of this enough to take him to walter reed and then in terms of drugs He's taking something called dexamethasone, which is a steroid typically used to treat severely ill COVID patients who have been often intubated or are getting oxygen. Uh, He's also taking an experimental antibody treatment. He's taking a five-day course of the antiviral drug remdesivir. So he's taking a lot of stuff. Some of them have side effects. The the steroid can include uh, side effects like confusion, delirium, mania, all things you probably don't want your president to have. Uh, Please note he's not taking hydroxychloroquine despite months of spewing bullshit about all of this. Uh, we know he's obese. We know he's 74. And, and that's all very bad. And so, I mean, the, the idea, also, let's just stop pretending that we're talking about a patient being released from a hospital the way one of us would be. He's being released from one facility to another facility that has a full White House medical unit and hospital wing in it. He's not, he's just going from one hospital to another. Uh, I just want to, <laughs> like, Donald Trump's spin on COVID is is now that COVID is like a, the fountain of youth. <laughs> right. You get COVID, you <laughs> go good. to the hospital, and you feel better than you did 20 years ago. Go get yourself some COVID if you want to feel young and energetic again. That's, yeah, what, a, that's, a, that's the president's new message. Cool. How will we know if he is experiencing unusual delirium, mania, anxiety, <laughs> I and know, depression? I know, I know. How do you tell? How do you tell? Yeah, no, I I thought it was I thought it was interesting in the New York Times piece that they um they said there's like a name for demanding of your doctors all kinds of treatments. It's called the VIP syndrome, mm-hmm. <laughs> where the doctors might not necessarily recommend a bunch of treatments, but because you're so important and they they don't know what they don't know how to say no to you, which is certainly the case with the president of the United States, they're just giving him all these experimental treatments anyway because he's demanding them, which to me seemed like exactly what has happened here. <laughs> well, also, yeah, th- these aren't also like time tested techniques where, you know, there's a manual that goes back decades explaining how exactly to treat COVID. It's a brand new illness. And they're just stuffing his old, unhealthy ass full of every drug they can think of. Like, that's not necessarily a good idea. No, no, it doesn't sound like it. And he's certainly not out of the woods just yet, even though he's going back to the White House right now. So uh, that seems troubling. Um So no matter how sick he may be, Trump, of course, wants us to think he's fine because he's terrified of appearing weak. He released pictures of himself supposedly working at Walter Reed, uh, in which he appeared to be signing his name in the middle of a blank sheet of paper. Um, He filmed a couple of rambling, semi-coherent hostage-looking videos. uh, In one of them, he said, 
I learned a lot about COVID. I learned it by really going to school. This is the real school. This isn't the let's read the book school. And I get it. And I understand it. And it's a very interesting thing. And I'm going to be letting you know about it. Trump, Trump then made a few Secret Service agents get in an armored vehicle with him so that he could stage a photo op outside the hospital where he waved to a few of his cheering supporters from inside his SUV. Um, <laughs> I just, just, but just, listen, maybe it took me a long time, but I finally understand COVID. Now, fellas, get in this enclosed space. We're going for our drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, man. Tommy, how do you think... Like, compare Trump's vision of how this stunt would go with the reality of the public reaction. Like, I would love to know the thought bubble of how Trump thought this <laughs> how this was going to go. Uh, yeah, I, I think in his head, it was like, you know, the Allies liberating Paris. And in reality, it was like a couple of Proud Boys and some QAnon fans, like really confused about the weird, like slow funeral procession going by them with uh, all black SUVs. I mean, it made me think of the photo of George W. Bush looking out of Air Force One while they were flying over New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina. And obviously, we're partisan hacks here. But to me, it showed someone who was out of touch, who refuses to learn or be responsible no matter what happens. And I contrast that with the time Obama gave a hug to a nurse who had just recovered from Ebola in an effort to destigmatize it. And so I'm really glad that the discussion around this photo op immediately focused on the fact that he put these Secret Service agents at risk so they could chauffeur him for this trip around the block. Because I do think that's also like the perfect anecdote that tells a bigger story about this White House. Their irresponsible behavior, including refusing to wear masks, um, it has gotten White House staffers, reporters, U.S. senators sick. And that all comes from the top. Like Trump is known to mock mask usage. He does it in meetings, reportedly. He once accused a reporter, uh, Jeff Mason, of being politically correct because Jeff didn't want to take his mask off at a White House press conference. And so, like, the politics are quite clear on this. 75% of the country supports mask usage. They want the government and the people running it to be responsible. The White House is totally on the wrong side of the issue. This image cemented that. He's obsessed with looking strong, right? That's why his, his favorite adverb is, is strongly. Everything is strongly. I'm looking at this executive order very strongly. It makes zero sense half the time. He's terrified of looking weak. But right now, what he looks is, is irresponsible. And like someone who doesn't understand how to deal with a pandemic facing the, the nation. And I think it was a very, very big mistake. Love it. What did you think of the uh, COVID joyride so he could wave to his proud boys? It's, uh, <laughs> gives really gives new meaning to uh, stand back and stand by, huh? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> It was, um, yeah, I mean, look, like, uh, what's left to say? It's like how the man is in the hospital with what is apparently a severe case of COVID-19. And even inside of his own convalescence, he found a way to be the worst human being we have ever had in this job. That is extraordinary. You have to work hard. That is a fucking detour. Like, like you know, metaphorically and also practically, you have to really <laughs> be creative to think about this. The look in that Secret Service agent's eyes in that front seat, this like, so that fast. like dead expression, like this motherfucker <laughs> waving at the, the biggest assholes uh, in politics because his ego needed a boost because he was bored. New York Times, <laughs> there was a sentence in the New York Times sort of TikTok of all of this that said, um, Trump is in the hospital watching more TV than usual. <laughs> and I like stared at it. I mean, this was... The president put Secret Service agents at risk because he was bored. There's no grand political strategy. There's no there's no thought behind how it helps him politically. Not really. He is fucking bored. And he didn't like seeing Mark Meadows telling everybody after uh, Dr. Everything's OK got done with his briefing saying I'm um, treating, treating Dr. Trump, Happy Trump Talk with, over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I gave him a couple Pez. He's happy in there. You know, a couple, a couple, couple lollipops. I gave him a shot in the lollipop. Kid's doing OK. And Mark Meadows is like, he's actually quite ill. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> So, yeah, he was pissed and he wanted to go for oh. a car ride because he's, um, you know, we know we know what he is. Well, it was like so the attending one of the attending physicians at Walter Reed, James Phillips, like tweeted as this happened and, and was just appalled, as most physicians, I'm sure, were that he was putting the lives of these Secret Service agents in danger because they were in a hermetically sealed car together and even with masks that's still dangerous um but phillips also gave an interview afterwards with nbc where he says 
it, it's not just that he's putting people's lives at risk, though that's horrible. He's sending a message to other people who are sick that it's okay to go out, which is, of course, the other big problem with the, the entire way that Trump has handled this pandemic and what he just told people in that fucking tweet. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this deadly fucking virus. Just go live your lives. 200,000 people are dead. <laughs> we're, we're still, I think, his uh, that obscene that obscene tweet I think is still kind of washing over us because we're mid pod, but uh, <laughs> usually we have time to think about these things. <laughs> he says he gets it. Of course he doesn't get it. Anyone who thought he was going to get it or change is um, very dumb. But uh, uh, you would think that he would understand that the reality of the pandemic and his own political fortunes are kind of tied. Like if he would say something along the lines of, "This is yet another reminder." He could li- look. It would be hypocritical, it would be bullshit, but it would be at least positive for the country if the president said, this is a reminder to take it seriously. We obviously need to wear masks and do social distancing. It's what's good for the country. It'll keep you safe. It'll keep your community safe. And I hope that that is a lesson we all take. Instead, he's like, uh, you know, it's Mardi Gras, baby. I've never felt better. (laughs) I'm glad I got it. You should get it too. I mean, he could have like, he could (laughs) have short of saying like I was wrong which he would never say in a million years short of saying I didn't take this seriously enough he could have done things like uh, called COVID patients while in the hospital he could have made this about frontline workers he could have said I'm receiving the best care in the world everyone deserves this kind of care like there's a million ways he could have projected that he was okay and still doing his job to the public and to the world which he clearly wanted to do without looking like a fucking buffoon who was putting people's lives at risk no, instead he blamed the troops. I don't think I don't know that a lot of people noticed this. I <laughs> oh, forgot that about first, that. Yeah, in that first Sean Hannity interview he did between Hope Hicks's diagnosis and his, he basically blamed uh, airmen, Marines, and police officers for her getting sick because he said, you know, it's hard when they, when they want to come forward and give you a hug and talk to you. You know, it's hard to tell them to stand back. No, it's not. You have Secret Service detail. Like it's very easy. He, he has done everything wrong at every turn. And by the way, by the way, Hope Hicks, they spent like 24 hours being like, ah, Hope gave it to Trump. There is no evidence of that at this know, point. We have absolutely no idea. They put her out. They sent her to the wolves. Yeah, totally. No. Well, it, it, I mean, speaking of that, it wasn't just the Secret Service agents that Trump put at risk of contracting COVID. We now know that over the last few weeks, the president, his staff, and senior members of his party may have exposed hundreds of people to the virus, sometimes knowingly. Uh, we know that the September 26th Rose Garden ceremony to nominate Amy Coney Barrett was actually a super spreader event with at least eight positive cases. We know that Trump was likely infectious at the debate where his staff and family refused to follow protocol and wear masks. We know that after learning he'd been exposed to a COVID positive Hope Hicks, Trump chose to go mingle with more than 100 people at an indoor fundraiser in New Jersey that included a fucking buffet. <laughs> the list of COVID cases connected to Trump so far includes the First Lady Hope Hicks, essential worker Kaylee McEnany, campaign manager Bill Stepien, personal aide Nick Luna, Kellyanne Conway, Chris Christie, who's now hospitalized, Ronna McDaniel, Senator Mike Lee, Senator Tom Tillis, Senator Ron Johnson, Notre Dame President John Jenkins, a couple White House press staffers, a couple White House reporters, multiple Cleveland debate staff, now a few housekeeping staff at the White House itself. Like, what the fuck were these people all thinking? What were they thinking? Tommy? They, they thought that they could use rapid testing alone to, to stay safe. And that was catastrophically wrong. I mean, you can be infectious for days before the amount of virus in your body registers positive on one of these rapid tests. And there's also data that shows at least early iterations of the Abbott rapid tests were very inaccurate. The NYU did a study in May and they found it could be missing a third to almost half of positive cases. So what works? Social distancing wearing masks, not shaking hands, not close talking with Chris Christie. They refuse to do any of this. And so I feel a little bit bad for the non-White House staffers who went to this White House event and thought that maybe they had protocols in place for keeping them safe. But having 150 people mix and mingle right now is criminal negligence. And having a VIP clutch for your Supreme Court nominee inside the White House before the outside event is even worse. And now we're seeing the results. And I think What people might not totally get is just how small the West Wing is. Like my first office, the lower press office was right behind the podium where the press secretary briefs. It is like 200, 300 square feet, maybe it's tiny, tiny, tiny. We had seven or eight people in there and the press corps and countless others walk in and out freely all day long. My second office was a windowless basement. The place is a Petri dish. 
all of them are going to get it if they've been around people like Kaylee McEnany and these other super spreaders like Trump. And so uh, they are it, it is criminal negligence, in my opinion. Someone's going to die because of this. Well, I was going to say, I mean, love it. I do think there's a difference here between carelessness and recklessness, right? Not taking the proper precautions, right? Like, you know, like Tommy said, the rapid tests um, aren't perfect. But if you had like rapid tests plus masks, plus social distancing, plus being outside, then it is good, right? Then you, you test everyone, but you know that the tests aren't 100%, so you take all these extra precautions. These people, I mean, these people were inside, they were mingling, they were hugging, right? Like all these problems. But there's a still a difference between that, between not taking precautions, and then what Trump was doing, which is he, he told an advisor, according to the Wall Street Journal, don't tell anyone about their positive test. He knew he was exposed to Hope Hicks and that Hope was positive, and yet still chose to go to New Jersey and mingle with a bunch of people after he knew he was exposed. And he lied on Hannity when he didn't mention to Hannity that he already tested positive and was waiting for a second positive test to confirm. So it goes beyond recklessness that he was actually actively put, he knew he was putting people in jeopardy. Yeah, I mean, look, we also still at this moment do not know when Donald Trump's last negative test was. Mm -hmm. We don't right. know when he last took a negative test. And that's really important. It's, an, it's a national security question. It's a public health question. It's a judgment, leadership, temperament question. It's an incredibly important question because we don't know if he was even tested before he went to the debate. The White House is engaged in a cover-up even at this moment, right before we, before we found out Kayleigh McEnany herself uh, had been uh, uh, had come back positive with COVID-19. She was walking back with the White House had previous, previously said. The White House had said, we're going to tell you how many people at the White House have COVID. But they now won't do that. They're saying it's because uh, of privacy concerns. I don't know why the number 37 suddenly has privacy concerns. It doesn't really make any sense. They're, they're afraid to tell the truth. They're afraid to tell just how reckless and careless they were. On top of that, yes, like, look, Ron Johnson uh, exposed to COVID, takes a test, oh, yeah. then does an event, then finds out he has it. Uh, that is what uh, Kaylee McEnany has done. That is what a lot of these people have done. They have uh, 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 brazenly, and I don't think it is even, I don't think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. There has been, they are, there is way too much information that tells us over and over again uh, their own advisors have told them this over and over again. We need a testing regime because it protects us en masse over time. But a single test doesn't mean you don't have it. That has been clear for a long time. Rapid testing is not a permission slip. A negative test does not mean you get to go in front of the press and take off your mask. We look, I, I'm sitting here. I'm still worried right, about Joe Biden. You know, I'm very, very relieved. Thank God we are now, you know, almost a week away from his exposure to Donald Trump, super spreader, uh, and he has come back negative again and again. But it sometimes takes days for a, a test to show up, show up positive, uh, and to have enough COVID in your system to start showing up positive. So uh, these people were worse than irresponsible. They were uh, genuinely, uh, um, they showed a complete disregard for the lives of anyone around them, and honestly, including themselves. I do feel much better, by the way, on the Biden question that he got a negative test yesterday on Sunday. Yes. Because that yes. is now five or six days and the vast majority of people would show symptoms yes. or the COVID would show up five or six days in. The first test he got, the first test he got was like, meh. But the, the matter, second yeah. one I mean, yeah, where The curve is dropping. The likelihood is dropping. It's very, yeah. very good. But these assholes should have learned their lesson when friggin' Rand Paul uh, got tested and went for a swim in the Senate pool and came back positive. Right? I mean, they, they have been <laughs> awful and irresponsible since day one. The Republican Party is putting people at risk, period. Which, by the way, is why you don't go to a giant event with all these fucking people. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, there's, that's the other thing is like, there's a difference between like going to it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere near a fucking Republican politician or, or a Trump supporter right now because like you can't no believe if they've been tested. You can't believe if they've been taking precautions. Like, I mean, there's a hundred people at that event. Even if the, even if the tests were a hundred percent accurate, I still wouldn't believe that all those people are going to get fucking tested. I still wouldn't fucking believe it. Look, we'll get to it. But like, you know, you stop. It's like we're we're we are so through the looking glass. The Biden campaign had to uh, push the debate, uh, uh, the debate uh, commission to change the rules to move Pence and Kamala Harris further apart because the White House is an unreliable and reckless operator that is an ongoing threat to public health and safety. That is extraordinary. We have to keep the we have to keep Kamala Harris away from Mike Pence because we don't trust them and he may be sick. So, well, so Trump campaign advisor Jason Miller was the first to try to uh, they trotted him out on the Sunday shows to try to defend the president's behavior. Uh, here's what he said to George Stephanopoulos. 
And George, I think there's a really important point here is that President Trump had to take this head on. He had to get out there as the leader, not just of the country, but of the free world and take this head on. This is a, a general in the field type moment that he couldn't just stay upstairs hidden in the Lincoln bedroom or in the White House. He couldn't stay hidden in his basement saying, I'm going to shut down forever. Donald Trump virus hunter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> hand to hand combat. Tommy, what is the argument the Trump campaign's trying to make here? And uh, is it at all believable? <laughs> They're just clowns. They're, they're clowns. There's no argument here. You, you can't spin nothing. Like, and, this, and the question about whether or not he'll get sympathy, like I, sympathy is still even different from whether it'll help him politically. I, I might be sympathetic. I don't, I'm not like wishing anybody ill will, but like, I think this just reminds everybody of just how badly he has failed to manage COVID. And like Jason Miller Good luck defending the indefensible, you you wretched human being. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, and the, this morning they kept it up, love it. The uh, Trump campaign spokesperson, uh, Aaron Perrin, said on Fox, he has experience now fighting the coronavirus as an individual. Joe Biden doesn't have that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's like, uh, beyond who is parody. that fucking for? It's beyond who parody, Who is that yeah. for? Who is... Like where 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 is show lot of, me, show lot of the... pressure on Joe Biden to catch the coronavirus now to keep up with Donald what, Trump? What pl- a lot of pressure. Like good luck, <laughs> Pete. Good luck, you absolute fucking bottom feeding dregs of Republican politics. The only people willing to go on television to defend this because Kellyanne is also sick. Yeah, but also look, you know those arrogant, awful Trump kids who strolled into the debate and then removed their masks and waved away the Cleveland Clinic people who tried to give them one. They are exactly what is wrong with this country on so many different levels. They are so arrogant and elitist. And by the way, if the various like bodies involved would just enforce the rules that everyone is supposed to go by, whether it comes to uh, Trump not talking over Joe Biden every five seconds in the debate or like proof that he got tested showing up to the debate in time to get tested there that day in front of everybody, we wouldn't have all these problems. But everyone kowtows to them for no reason. It, well, it's, it's indicative of the larger problem of how various institutions and, and establishment institutions in particular yeah. have responded to fucking Donald Trump. Like the debate commission is fucking useless, impotent. Pathetic. Like, oh, we oh, we don't want to be accused of playing sides. We can't upset the Trump people. So the White House Correspondents Association. Kaylee McEnany right. was briefing them without a mask yesterday. Today she has COVID. They put out a statement basically wishing her well, not saying a damn thing about how she recklessly put them all at risk. Come on, guys. Show Must some not appear partisan. Must not appear partisan, no matter what. That's The biggest sin is appear partisan. Everyone's going to end up dead from COVID, but at least you won't have been playing it. You know, at least you, at least both sides will have been. Uh, you would have been right. fair to both sides. Right. <laughs> you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. So let's talk about how this is all playing for Trump. Uh, spoiler alert, not great. Okay, um, sure. Yeah, let's talk about how it's playing just, for Trump. <laughs> just about every poll since Trump's diagnosis has showed Joe Biden maintaining or expanding his lead. In addition, a Reuters Ipsos poll found that 90% of Democrats and even 50% of Republicans agreed that, quote, if President Trump had taken coronavirus more seriously, he probably would not have been infected. ABC News found that 72% of Americans, quote, believe that Trump didn't take the risk of contracting the virus seriously enough. Yahoo News and YouGov found that only 15, 1-5% of Americans thought that Trump shouldn't should have attended that New Jersey fundraiser. The only thing I find interesting about um, these numbers is that Trump isn't even getting his usual 35 to 40% of his base uh, support on his COVID behavior. Um, what do you guys think? Was there anything interesting or surprising in these in these polls? Love it. I mean, no, <laughs> no, there isn't. There just isn't. Uh, this is not, you know, uh, uh, like uh, maybe the only thing you could wonder if you're going to wonder anything is we were in the midst of a news cycle after the worst presidential debate in our lives ever on television. I think that's fair to say because of Trump's sort of boorish and awful behavior. Uh, and that was having a lingering effect. I think some of the polls showing 
a like slightly widening lead for Biden reflects that this is a whole new story. It's not a good story for Trump. Uh, uh, it throws everything. It kind of throws all attention on his worst issue. Uh, well, at the same time, I'll say, you know, though, to you know, it's amazing how quickly he's back to normal with his sort of kind of uh, uh, self-destructive tweets. But like these videos, while heinous and ridiculous and incoherent, uh, were ultimately not the kind of vitriol he'd have been spewing if he'd been able to go to Wisconsin, if he'd be able to go to the places he wanted to do. So I don't know. I just think it's like, will this affect the race? Some Nothing seems to have. This thing is incredibly stable. I don't know. What do you think, Tommy? I feel like this. I feel like this might this this might affect the race. It might not be like the uh, bottom dropping out, but this feels like uh, this feels like a big deal. I, I just think like, look, uh, nothing in the polling surprised me. There's probably no better understood part of Trump's record than his handling of COVID, uh, and it's probably no more hardened opinions than the fact that he did a terrible job. And the problem for the Trump people is, you know, he was displaying this recklessness recently on Tuesday at the debate. We watched him mock Joe Biden for wearing a mask. Right. I mean, like the Tulsa indoor rally was a huge disaster. Herman Cain died, but is somehow still tweeting through it. Like, it's like p- people get this. Like a week ago, we were listening to audio of him telling Bob Woodward he purposely played down the fucking virus. There's no spinning this, guys. Best of I, luck. I just, send no us your it. Conways. No send us your Millers. Send us the best you got. There's no spinning this. You guys are a fucking disaster. Maybe you win the election i'm not saying i know who's gonna win you're a disaster on this one but honestly like if you win at this point then like go you know what godspeed because this is (laughs) like if you i mean i had been wondering if there was a way that covid would come back into the headlines knowing that it's the toughest issue for trump and you know i was sort of scared and and it might be this anyway we should say that you know cases are on the rise again throughout the united states um we hit like fifty thousand over the weekend we had been at a plateau of forty thousand. that's incredibly alarming especially when fauci said that if we want to get through the winter when there's supposed to be another surge anyway we should be down to ten thousand cases a day uh, in order to be able to handle it we're now at 50 again which is really alarming so it could have crept into the headlines anyway. But now it's in the headlines in a much different way, which is like the president of the United States, patient zero, is a fucking super spreader. And so are members of his party. And they're running around the country, not just neglecting COVID right now, but actually infecting people with COVID themselves. (laughs) Like, I cannot, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine if I tried a worse way to close out the race for him. And and I will say too, you could conceive of a strategy that they might have to show him getting better back on the campaign trail, talking about it, trying to take it seriously, all out the window when he gets in a car <laughs> and puts people at risk and shows that he's learned absolutely nothing. There's no... Well, there's and no just in that tweet where he said, <laughs> I feel better better than I have in 20 years. Let's, uh, that, yeah. I, I, yeah. That's got to be the steroids, by the way. I mean, those <laughs> stero- I mean they're, they're coursing through his veins. Yeah. I mean, we're, like, I'm not a doctor, I'm the, but neither are half the people saying they are, so whatever. <laughs> I like the idea that... That doctor being like, um, obviously, uh, Trump is doing really well. His fever did spike. He did have a several minute conversation with Herman Cain. But again, it was a mostly positive encounter. Also, just like the line, just like, did his oxygen ever go uh, low 94? It certainly didn't go into the low 80s. Like, I didn't ask about that the low wasn't 80s. The question, so, so I assume I assume from that qu- answer that it definitely went into the high 80s. Is that yeah. what yeah, I'm yeah, definitely, Because yeah. you lie about everything else. Um, Sounds like 85 to me. Right. <laughs> They they did not vet their doctors for the ability to lie. That much was very clear. Yeah, that was an issue. Uh, let's talk about how Joe Biden's handling all of this. Uh, the former vice president, who, again, thankfully tested negative again on Sunday, uh, has wished the president well, pulled down his negative advertising, but continued to campaign and draw contrast with Donald Trump on both policy and leadership. Here's a clip of Biden from this weekend talking about the importance of masks. We can save 100,000 lives in the next 100 days, according to the head of the CDC, if everyone wears a mask in public. So be patriotic. It's not about being a tough guy. It's about doing your part. Wearing a mask is not only going to protect you, but also protects those around you. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, husband, wife, neighbor, co-worker. Don't just do it for yourself. Do it for the people you love. Uh, Tommy, how do you think the Biden campaign has handled this situation and how should they handle it going forward? I thought that speech was was pitch perfect. I mean, listen, the reason Trump can't defeat COVID is because it requires empathy. It requires maybe looking a little silly 
uh, in your photo app when you're a you know 74 year old president with a weird hairpiece thing going on because you have a mask on for a few minutes and he just refuses to do that he will not put the health of others uh, ahead of his own image his own politics Joe Biden is the opposite human being I mean look if it were up to me I would lock Joe Biden in that basement and not let him out I would bubble wrap the house I would keep every human being away. <laughs> I would go back to the week two of COVID. We're all wiping down like every individual banana we were bringing in there. Like, I I don't think he needs to be out there campaigning. I would just have him chill out and do a bunch of Zooms. I think pulling down the negative ads is like fine. It was a good a good message. It sounds good. I would rather have them, you know, up with a bunch of ads about his record anyway. So I think they're they're doing the right things. But man, I'm just terrified about him getting sick. Like, that's my problem. Love it. What do you think? How should he? uh... How should he handle this sort of message wise going forward? I think he's saying all the right things. You know, we've been having, well, you know, Peter Hamby wrote about this. We've talked about this, that that there's not a lot of meat left on the attack ad bone anyway for Donald Trump, that we need to make a positive message about Joe Biden's sick. What a great way to shift to positive ads when that's probably what they need to do anyway while getting a bump. And by the way, I don't think the super PACs are necessarily going to take the notice anyway. So right. I'm sure there's plenty of negative ads going anyway. Like, you know, I... Um, uh, I checked in with my hacks on tap. I don't think Mike Murphy is pulling down his ads in Florida and they're not that negative anyway. So uh, for the Republicans against Trump. So there's plenty of there's plenty of also, like, Trump messaging. You, By the it, way, the newspaper. I was going to say, I was just about to say that. If you want some negative content about Trump, turn on the fucking news, man. <laughs> yeah, <it's not> hard. <laughs> I see all these people yeah. worried like, what is Joe Biden doing? What is Joe Biden doing? Like, guys, it's totally OK. Plenty of negative information about Trump out there. And we know that positive ads move voters more than negative ads. Just because you're a partisan who knows you're voting for Joe Biden doesn't mean that there's some the fucking undecided and uncertain voters out there. They know that Trump's an asshole. They want to know why they should vote for Joe Biden. How many times do we have to say this? (laughs) I'd also say, too, that simply the act of going in front of cameras and saying it's patriotic to wear a mask. It doesn't make it tough to not wear one. We need to take the pandemic seriously and revive the economy. It's the only way out of this myth is a contrast message because the president has said such heinous and opposite things. So I don't I don't I'm not it doesn't concern me at all. I I also think think that now that Trump seems like his uh, normal self again, plus some steroids, um, that Biden will go back to the contrast himself. You know, I mean, one one Trump advisor told, I think, The Washington Post, like the the attack ads write themselves. How can he protect the country if he can't even protect himself and his staff? Which thank you, thank you, anonymous Trump advisor, because that is, that is the message right now. Like Donald Trump cannot protect you, does not want to protect you from coronavirus. He couldn't even protect himself, couldn't even protect his own fucking staff because he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't even give a shit about himself. By the way, like one other thing that's been coming out today is one of the journalists that uh, uh, probably got COVID at the White House on Saturday um, said that they've been contacted. Nobody's reached out to them. Nobody has checked in with them. No, there's no contact tracing. No one told Chris Christie, who's in the hospital right now, he had to find out from the news. <laughs> so like, and and to me, like, it, this is once again, like, no one is going to tell this White House that it's their responsibility to set up contact tracing, to convene uh, universities and other people together. There's no one else but them. Like, it, Mark Meadows, your job is to set up the contact tracing. There's no one else in charge. You're in charge. They have been afraid of being in power this entire time. And it's just another way in which they're just sort of the malevolence and competence battle is just sort of uh, raging as always. It, it goes to, I mean, we should say, like, there is... I know that, you know, we're partisans, we've made up our mind here, but there was a way that Trump could have handled this that would have been more politically effective for him, right? Like the the country would have had sympathy for a president who falls ill. He could have said, this taught me a lesson. We should take COVID seriously now. And maybe I haven't been as vigilant as I should have and everyone should wear masks and we should make sure everyone has access to testing and everyone should get the same kind of treatment that I had at Walter Reed. And, you know, this has really humbled me and made me think. And like, obviously Trump can't do this, but if he did that, I actually think he might close the race a little bit. (laughs) I don't know. It's it's he didn't do it. They've cornered themselves. They have always right. felt like any change in behavior is a tacit admission that the, what they were doing previously was wrong. He just refuses to ever admit that he's wrong. So maybe it would have gotten him some sympathy. I, I, I really don't think it would have gotten him sympathy votes. I, I think that like people are pretty uh, hard in their beliefs is. about him. He's a terrible leader. Like you could be sympathetic, yeah. but it doesn't mean you want this guy running the show anymore. That's true. That's true. Um, All right. Let's talk about what happens in the last 29 days of the campaign. 
Trump is off the trail, but his campaign is moving ahead with something they're calling Operation MAGA, which involves deploying family members and surrogates and I guess coronavirus in the battleground states. Um, Mike Pence, Mike Pence uh, is scheduled to hold an in-person rally in Arizona on Thursday. Uh, the vice presidential debate is on for Wednesday night, though we have no idea if the next presidential debate will take place as scheduled on October 15th. Um, love it. Pence holding rallies is insane from a public health standpoint. Is it even smart from a political standpoint right now? <laughs> no. No, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think the super spreader White House rally events like I, I don't know what possibly they could be looking at. I don't know what is going on inside of the kind of fetid Zoom calls these people are engaging in right now to figure out how to get themselves to some other kind of political uh, reality. I am sure that they are seeing the same kind of terrible numbers we're seeing publicly and trying to figure out a way out of it. I, I don't know why they think they need to send Mike Pence, but I'm sure they think they need to do something. They can't just they can't just wait because the current. The current trajectory is so poor for them. So no, I don't think it's a good story to have Mike Pence, who very well may come down positive soon enough, who's been exposed to all of these people taking this sort of White House to yet another event uh, that puts a lot of people at risk, especially when we see cases rising across the country in Wisconsin. Uh, You know, Wisconsin is is becoming um, another hotspot. It's rising in New York. It's rising all across the country. Like we are still sort of neck deep in this pandemic and it is their biggest liability. And it is now the closing issue because of what happened at the White House. No, I don't think it's good for them. Tommy, if you're on um, Kamala Harris's debate prep team, is there anything you would do to prepare her differently for this debate with Pence now that all this has happened? Yeah. Don't do it. What, <laughs> what, are, what are you what do you think? Well, I feel like I'm watching a horror movie and, and, and the, the like really nice girl is about to walk into the dark abandoned house. Don't go in there. What are you thinking? <laughs> Mike Pence isn't safe. Like Mike Pence could come down with COVID. Suit. Tomorrow, are you crazy? Oh, we'll move her nine feet away instead of six. What the fuck are we doing here? It's madness to me. Madness. I would not be doing this debate this week. If you have to, I would make a huge deal about the need to follow the rules, be safe, professional. Like, make him get videotaped taking his test on the day of. We still don't know when Trump's last negative test was. Like, I, I don't trust this White House to be honest about anything. I don't know what they're thinking here. I think this is absurd. It's irrational. Pence should not be campaigning at all when his boss, the president of the United States, has a deadly illness. Like he should be doing everything he can to keep himself safe, as should Pelosi, as should, you know, the next people down the chain. I just think this is madness. Yeah. Yeah. Put the politics out. Pence should be self-quarantined. Yes. He should be self-quarantined for two weeks. He should be. They all should be. I honestly think the reason they're not telling us the number of people infecting infected at the White House is A, it's a high number. And B, they're not totally sure because they have no competence to actually gather the information. They put out a letter. This White House, <laughs> we talk about how they don't care about people in New York. They don't care about people in California. They told the White House staff to go to their own doctors and not to come to the White House medical office because they want to not, I don't, I don't for whatever reason, I don't know, but it's because they don't want to take care of this. They don't feel the obligation. I don't think they know how many people at the White House are infected. So no, of course, Mike Pence should be quarantined. You know, they're trying to say, okay, they'll keep Kamala Harris and Mike Pence 14 feet or 12 feet away at this point. No I, way. I don't know. Maybe they should bring the Jamie Harrison. Um, yeah, bring the plexiglass in. Yeah, I mean, look, it's... um. It's ridiculous. Uh, everybody is figuring this out for the first time. We've never been in a situation where the White House is a public health threat in real time, actively spreading a virus. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a it's a sticky wicket. I mean, if she if she if she does participate, if they can sort of put them both in bubble wrap, I, I do think like Mike Pence was the head of the fucking coronavirus task force. Heck of a job, Mikey. <laughs> Heck of a yeah. job. Like, do not fuck. Like, I would take every question on every issue back to this failure. I, if I was Kamala Harris, I would make the entire debate about their failure on COVID, a failure for the country, a failure to protect millions of Americans, their own staff, their own supporters, their own party, the president himself. It is a failure from the get-go and she should just not let up the entire time. I would make, I would do nothing else but talk about that. I don't know what happens with the next two presidential debates, by the way. Like, I mean, Donald Trump, like if he had, if he was asymptomatic, right? And didn't have symptoms through the course of the illness, then you got 14 days that you're supposed to stay in isolation. He's very symptomatic and face he has a fairly severe case of COVID. Like yes. he's not going to be ready on fucking uh, whenever it is a week from now. Why are we even considering letting Joe Biden into a room with that man again? This is also Zoom, a town Zoom hall. Debate. Do a Zoom debate. 
It's also a town hall format. There will be all kinds oh, right. of other I people forgot there, about that. regular human beings, citizens of the country that he would put at risk. Why do we play this game anymore? Stop letting this fucking monster dictate the terms of the debate. Look, I want Joe Biden to debate him because Joe Biden kicked his ass up and down the debate stage last time. And all the polling since then has broken hard towards Joe Biden. But it's just not safe. It's not safe. And it's madness that we're pretending otherwise with this irresponsible monster running the country. I I, it, I feel like I'm in crazy world and like no one will just recognize what's happening in front of us, which the president of the United States almost gave his opponent the coronavirus because he is so reckless. Yeah, that is that's the real that's the that's the very scary thing here that like I can I mean, I was when I, I spent yesterday like on pins and needles waiting, checking Me Twitter too. every five seconds, waiting for Joe Biden's negative test because the way I mean, 2020 that's your normal gone, Sunday. Like, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is my normal Sunday, <laughs> but it was even worse than usual because know, like the way 2020 is, is just like, oh, my God, Donald Trump somehow gets COVID, gives it to his opponent, survives OK, and then fucking poor Joe Biden is sick. Like that was I was terrified of that. And it almost happened. You know, of course, we're, we're like by the grace of God, it didn't happen. And, and and let's hope the next test comes back negative. Let's hope we're OK. Let's, let's just hope yeah. we're OK. But it shouldn't be up to the grace of God. We shouldn't be in this situation. That's totally right. right. You know, you've already seen, you know, this relates to the to the. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett nomination, again, reminder, the source of all of this, it mm -hmm. is the, the super spreader nomination. Uh, but uh, you've seen a bunch of Republicans start saying things like, I'm following my doctor's orders. I'm going to quarantine for 10 days. Like, well, well oh, 10. That's interesting. Interesting how it's down to 10 now. Uh, no, I mean, look, Trump needs to be isolated for, for, for two weeks. He needs to have multiple COVID tests that come back negative before it's safe for him to be around anyone. Uh, it is just not possible for them to do an in-person debate. And here's the good news. Over Zoom, you can just mute him. You know? <laughs> also, Joe Biden doesn't have access to Walter Reed. Joe Biden doesn't have the White House medical unit in his other house. Like it is, it, again, the system is stacked in favor of Donald Trump. And like no one is recognizing that and, and helping Biden back away from this completely unsafe position he's been put in. It makes me infuriated. Well, here's the other thing. Campaign doesn't need to go on anymore. Guess what? You have all the fucking information you need, America. <laughs> you know what? Like, yeah. go vote, right? And you know what? You, early voting has begun. Ballots are in the mail. People have already started voting. Everyone go vote now. End this fucking nightmare. Like, we don't need <laughs> Joe Biden risking himself at more events. We don't. We know what Donald Trump's going to say at his fucking rallies. We know what they're both going to say at the debate. We know how this is going to go. Just fucking go John, vote. You don't need to hear from John, these two men I need, anymore. I need... A group of undecided voters on CNN with their <laughs> arms crossed saying, I came here to get some information. <laughs> I'm ready to find out what these people stand for. I need Selena Zito at a gas station with uh, a bunch yeah. of undecided <laughs> talking about their economic anxiety. Like, yes, like, let's just vote. Please vote. Everyone go. I don't I don't I don't like Donald Trump, but I am somewhat persuaded by the argument that Joe Biden didn't catch covid yet. So he doesn't have that experience. <laughs> and maybe I'll give it a cool nickname. <laughs> Uh, all right. When we come back, uh, we will have Tommy's interview with Cory Booker. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I am thrilled to be joined now by New Jersey Senator and member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Cory Booker. Senator, it's great to see you again. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, I'm going to trump your thrill with my outrageously excited to be talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so jumping right into it, I, I know that two members of the, uh, the Judiciary Committee, Senator Tillis of North Carolina, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, have tested positive for COVID. Uh, another U.S. Senator, Republican Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, tested positive as well. First question here is just, uh, how are you doing? Have you been tested? And are senators frustrated that this, you know, White House event for Amy Coney Barrett seems to have put so many people at risk? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for asking about uh, my own health. I just got tested earlier this morning here in Newark, New Jersey at our, our local hospital with some great 
courageous medical professionals who've been standing on the front line for this whole pandemic. Uh, and I feel good, no symptoms, so I'm praying I'm okay. But I was in a Judiciary Committee hearing uh, with Tom Tillis and Mike Lee on Thursday. Uh, it was a very big room and they were far away. But um, I just think that this is a yet again pointing out that we are uh, not doing everything we should be doing in the Senate to protect members. And I think when you put it in the context of a hearing that is being outrageously rushed, an ahistoric rushing of someone uh, at a time that we usually have a lot of time to prep for this, to, to read the volumes of uh, her writings and really prepare to do what our constitutional duty is, which is uh, to uh, advise and consent. This is a right. process that's, that should be waiting uh, and being given the appropriate time. And that combined with the fact that we now have members of our committee who have fallen ill, and obviously I pray for their well-being, but this just further highlights that this process is just wrong. Yeah, it was kind of nice about that process because, you know, I, I believe judiciary was scheduled to begin hearings uh, for the Barrett nomination on October 12th. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham had suggested holding a committee vote on October 22nd. Some have since suggested conducting Barrett's confirmation hearings virtually. What, what's your sense of the state of play uh, for the timing uh, of these hearings? And do you think that virtual hearings on a Supreme Court nomination are appropriate or sufficient? So number one, I have no real sense with how Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are going to do this. I just know that they are intent and determined, no matter what, to do this with uh, members of their caucus who have said, before even Amy Comey Barrett was nominated, that they would vote for uh, whoever Donald Trump puts up. And so right. I, I, I want to recognize that this whole process, there's a deep illegitimacy in it to begin with. Um, uh, and we should constantly at every point be talking about the illegitimacy of this process, the fact that we're moving forward at all, the fact that he put up a Supreme Court nominee while voting had already started. It is an illegitimate process being pursued in a raw, naked power grab to get someone on the Supreme Court before the American public voices uh, has, has, speaks to all these issues. Because what's at stake, frankly, again, uh, the majority of Americans are against what Donald Trump is trying to do. Put a justice mm -hmm. on that will tear down Roe v. Wade. Put a justice on that will tear down the Affordable Care Act. These things have 70% plus support and Americans should be allowed to speak on these issues as well as the other issues that we know are going to come for the Supreme Court. So back to the part of your question about the committee hearings, you know, I, I have no doubt that they're going to try to press forward with virtual hearings, which I think is just wrong uh, uh, for a lifetime appointment on the highest court in the land. Um, we should be able to do this in a way that could do honor the traditions that we've had going back to, um, uh, uh, you know, decades and decades but also to give you a real chance to uh, vet the individual who's up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm glad you really are, are focused on the illegitimacy of this process because I agree with you 100%. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm curious about our listeners are really wondering is, you know, you see all these these um, armchair Senate experts on Twitter and in, in other places suggesting all these ways that Democrats could stop or slow the Barrett nomination. Ideas like objecting to uh, unanimous consent agreements, denying committees the ability to meet after a certain time of day, quorum calls, all these tactics. I'm not saying these are bad ideas. I just literally have no idea if they are effective or sufficient. Can, can you give listeners a sense, a realistic sense of what, what can Democrats actually do to slow down this nomination? Because I think it's hard for people to deal with uh, how important uh, a Supreme Court nomination or any judicial appointment is compared to how little power the minority sometimes has uh, in those situations. Right. And so understand that we will do all the procedural things that we can do uh, to, to, to um, stop this illegitimate process. We will, we will do those. And I don't think there's uh, folks that feel more of a sense of urgency uh, on, on this than, than uh, the folks that are that are in that arena right now. But I want to remind folks that should we be able to pull a procedural tactic based upon the rules of the Senate to slow this nomination or stop it, Mitch McConnell has already shown you that he will just change the rule. Mm -hmm. Remember, we couldn't filibuster Supreme Court nominees before. Well, Mitch McConnell said, well, that rule, I'm sorry, that would stop um, the, the putting on of Brett Kavanaugh. We're going to change that rule. 
And so we, we, you have to understand we are in the minority. The rules are controlled by Republicans who have a Mitch McConnell who seems singular purpose is to completely hijack the American courts. Um, he, he constricted, uh, thwarted really Barack Obama's uh, uh, ability to put not just Merrick Garland on, but a whole slew of, of circuit court and district court judges. He thwarted that. And now he's aiding and abetting President Trump in putting on uh, a record number of judges. So th if that's his one of his most proudest, singular, purposeful uh, uh, pursuits, then uh, they know that as if we are able to do things that start to mount to using the rules uh, uh, to, to, to stop this illegitimate process, that he is fully capable of, of just changing the rules. Uh, and people right. should be aware of that. I really think that a lot of this fight is sort of similar to the healthcare fight, which was, this, I, we did not have the votes in the beginning. It was not until Americans really started doing all kinds of creative protests that put so much moral uh, um, uh, force on uh, the Republican Party that enough Republican senators shifted their votes and we were able to stop their pulling down the Affordable Care Act. In that chapter, remember, they've never stopped trying to tear down the Affordable Care Act. They've sabotaged it uh, by mm -hmm. not fully funding it, by not allowing enrollment periods, not advertising enrollment periods. They've done things to jack up premiums. They've been, they've been sabotaging Affordable Care Act, but this is their final fight. California v. Texas going to the Supreme Court and then trying to rush a justice through to seat her before the oral argument starts so that they have a 6-3 majority to overturn your health care, to overturn people's uh, the, the protections uh, um, from being denied insurance because of pre-existing conditions, overturning people's lifetime cap issues, people who already exceeded that lifetime cap. All of the things that we now are wildly popular amongst Republicans and Democrats, they are setting up for the final blow to tear it down. And so yeah. if you're not finding ways creatively to protest on the moral grounds of this issue, where the majority of Americans already agree with you, Republican and Democrat, think this should wait until after the election. We should be doing everything we can to whip up that moral pressure. Because I know a lot of people may are cynical, think it doesn't work, but there are a lot of people in tight elections around this country. And there are a lot of others in the Senate that that could work on it has worked in the past. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something everyone should remember. Um, no fight is over until it's over. Uh, speaking of major issues before Congress, I mean, it's been months since Congress agreed to pass uh, COVID relief legislation. Mitch McConnell has basically walked away from negotiations. There were there have been rumors of talks between Pelosi and Mnuchin possibly breaking through. Do you, do you have any hope uh, that Congress might do you know provide additional tr relief to people who are struggling? I mean, any hope. Look, I, I always tell people be a prisoner of hope. Never give up hope because anything is possible. Yeah. American history is a testimony to, to impossible things happening. Um, but I'm very doubtful that it will happen. Um, yeah, yeah. And people are hurting really, you know, it's just, it's awful what's going on in our country. And you've seen the most recent jobs report. You've seen the announcements from airlines and movie theaters and more. Um, this economy is, is in serious, serious uh, dire straits. And there are a lot of American families that need help and need uh, uh, support. Um, so we're gonna continue to fight for that. But that's where I want everybody to understand both of these issues we're talking about, from COVID, urgent COVID relief to the Supreme Court, a lot of this is gonna be coming down to what we do in November and, and the election. All of these issues, uh, uh, we can do nothing about them if we don't take back the Senate, nothing. We can do nothing, we can do very little about them, I should say, if we don't take back the Senate, very little about them if we don't take back the presidency, if we get both the Senate and the, and the White House, we can do a lot to rescue and support states and local governments and families and hospitals and individuals. Uh, and I know that Joe Biden, like he did when he ran the recovery under Obama, will come in with a big plan uh, to help uh, 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 the United States of America get through the storm. Yeah. Uh, last question for you, and, and thank you again for your time on a, a busy week. Um, over the past few months, Donald Trump has said that you, specifically you, Cory Booker, are, are literally going to destroy uh, the suburb of America. And that struck me as odd, considering uh, that you're pretty well known as someone who like digs out neighbors' driveways when there's snowstorms and shit like that. That seems like the opposite of destroying a suburb. But I hear that language and I think that is racist. Uh, and he's singling out you because of your race. How did you take it? 
what's the best way for us to respond to uh, outrageous comments like that? Yeah, well, it's outrageous in it, but it's not new. We've seen consistently, especially marked in recent history by the Republican Party, uh, from Ronald Reagan's welfare queens to Bush's uh, uh, Willie Horton, uh, uh, we've seen people making appeals to racially bigoted imagery and more. But this president, it's not even, you know, not even a, a dog whistle. It's a bullhorn, as people are saying. And uh, he is trying to scare uh, suburban uh, people in suburbs uh, with tired racial tropes uh, and, and rank bigotry. And it's awful and it's unfortunate. And, it, and you know, and on a personal level, just to let folks know, it, it really strikes a note to me because, you know, by the time I was 18 years old, I was, I was graduating from a very uh, uh, privileged suburban high school uh, um, uh, you know, president of my class on my way to play football at Stanford and, um, and the like. But my family never let me forget, um, uh, as I was growing up, that the only way we got into that suburb, we were the first black family in this uh, part of New Jersey, was because activists uh, got involved, because we were de denied consistently homes, to be able to buy homes because of the color of our skin. And in 1969, it was these courageous white folks with black folks that sent white couples to follow my parents around uh, when they would be home shopping and when they would be turned away from a house, the white couple would come and present themselves as home buyers. They actually put a bid on the house for my parents, for the house that I grew up in. And when my dad showed up at the closing with the, with the lawyer instead of the white couple, the real estate agent literally attacked my dad's lawyer, punched him in the face, took the dad, dog on him. And so I, I am where I am today because of racist attempts uh, to whip up fear, fears of white flights, and, uh, and so that bigotry that was baked into the laws of our past. And so it really uh, is, to me, at a time that we should have a president speaking to the truth of racial challenges in our country. We instead have a president that is trying to play to bigotry, demagoguery, fear-mongering, hate, uh, can't even condemn white supremacists, is attacking um, racial sensitivity and gender sensitivity training, calling it un-American, which is yeah. very opposite. So again, uh, everything comes back to this election. It, it is not enough to get worked up. We got to get out there and start working. Um, it's not enough. Uh, we know who Donald Trump is. He's told us who he is enough times. Heck, every news cycle, he does things to tell us where it is. This is not a referendum on him. I'm telling you, it's a referendum on us on who we are, what is our character, who we're going to be to our, each other, and how much are we willing to fight for our country. And the fight right now, and I'm, and I'm not discounting the urgency of the Supreme Court fight, but the biggest fight is to, to have such a wild wave of a voter turnout um, that, that we, Florida, is, you know, when we get that, those results back, that, it, that is, it is a big victory for us. That we, blue states, listen to me, please, that people don't think, well, I'm in California or New York, and no, it matters, because if we show him, we run up the score, don't beat him by 3 million votes by this time, but beat him by 15 million, 20 million votes, uh, this will be a complete repudiation, not just of Donald Trump, but of Trumpism uh, and this, this horrible brand of politics. It will never go away, but at least we can send it back into dark corners for uh, 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 for, 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 for another decade or so before demagoguery and bigotry tries to take over our systems again. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, we have to send a message to the ballot box. Uh, Senator Booker, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Uh, I hope that you and all your colleagues stay healthy. I'm sorry you're in this situation because of an irresponsible White House staff, but uh, you know, thank you again for all your work. No, I, I'm, I just want to say this because I say it every time. What you all become on this podcast is... Uh, and I'm glad we're coming to the end of this cycle, but those last four years, you all have been such important moral voices, sustaining voices. You guys have entertained, nurtured, nourished, uh, um, inspired, engaged so many people. The, the, the success of this podcast really speaks to the need of the podcast. And I'm just grateful for the warrior work you guys have done, uh, warriors of justice, warriors of peace. And you know me, I have to say it, warriors of love as well. Uh, um, so I just, I'm just grateful for you guys. I love coming on and let's bring it home in this last 30 days. That's very kind of you. Let's bring it home. All listeners, let's bring it home. We can win this thing. Thank you again, Senator. Thank you. All the best.
Thanks to Cory Booker for joining us today. Again, we will have group thread Wednesday night at the debate. If that debate happens, <laughs> so far it's just still scheduled. Don't um, do it, then, Kamala. Don't. Then, <laughs> Corey, if you're listening, will, call her. I bet you have her cell phone. Senator Booker, call her. Don't debate this clown. Zoom in. Zoom debate. Do it outdoors. Let's go to Outdoor Zoom. debate, 12 feet apart. Do that. Yeah. But he can't, as long as it's dark out, I don't think Mike Pence can be outside in the light. <laughs> Of course he doesn't have COVID. You need blood in your fucking veins. <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our associate producer is Jordan Waller. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Katie Long, Roman Papa Demetrio, Quinn Lewis, Brian Semmel, Caroline Reston, and Elisa Gutierrez for production support. Into our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Narmel Konian, Yale Freed, and Milo Kim, who film and upload these episodes as videos every week. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.